Welcome everybody to the Building Business Room where we are having a live recorded podcast. I believe this is our th- fourth our fourth week that we're doing this, Monday at 6 p.m. Uh, Eastern. And today we are so fortunate to have special guest uh, Anna Nestorova, who is president and founder of AVA Medical. Do you say AVA, Anna, or do you say AVA? I say AVA. Oh dear! Yeah, sounds good too. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. Um, I'm one of your hosts, Scott Sinclair. I am uh, president and founder of Sinclair Range. I am a investor, uh, entrepreneur. Um, mostly, what I do is is buy and advise troubled businesses and help those troubled businesses survive, turn around, create value, and save jobs. I want to thank everybody for joining us. And um, including uh, my fellow moderators and hosts here, I have uh, David Cohen with us and Sam Silverstein with us. Uh, Sam, do you want to introduce yourself if you're uh, good to have your mic off? Sam or David? Either one. David, go for it. I I think Sam is otherwise occupied at the moment. Sure. Hi, it's David Cohen. I'm uh, a partner at Gowling WLG in uh, Toronto. Gowling WLG is a global law firm with 19 offices around the world. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, I, uh, I practiced in restructuring and insolvency for 32 years, according to my LinkedIn profile. And uh, I am uh, former chair of the Turnaround Management Association and president of the Turnaround Management Association, the world's largest uh, organization bringing restructuring professionals together. Uh, to share ideas and network and uh, I am at heart uh, born and bred to be a part of the entrepreneurial community. I've run my practice for 32 years like an entrepreneur and I actually have outside business interests so the stories of entrepreneurs and how entrepreneurs succeed and how you build business is a story incredibly close to my heart. Thanks Scott. Thank you David. Uh, Sam are you are you good to go? There you are. There, yeah, it just wasn't, I was talking, but it wasn't working. My name is Sam Silverstein, and I am the author of 11 books on the topic of accountability and organizational culture. I work with leaders to help build accountable leadership and build organization cultures that inspire accountability and allow to people to be their very best. Thank you, Sam. And Anna, I'm not going to ask you to introduce yourself because that will actually be the first part of our podcast. Since with you, what we're doing today, I really want to focus on your journey as opposed to, you know, when we did uh, shows with David and myself and Sam, we talked about accountability, we talked about negotiation technique and skills, we talked about turnaround. For you, what I'm most amazed by is your journey. And um, so we're going to get into that. Before, but before we do, <clears throat> before we do, I remind everybody to refresh your screens, hit some plus buttons, and uh, invite people that you think may enjoy this room. Please follow your moderators. Follow David, Anna, uh, and Sam. Uh, thank them for spending their time here. And remember, this is a live recorded podcast. Feel free to raise your hand, jump on stage, ask some questions of uh Anna, jump into the conversation, but when you do, remember that this is recorded and will show up on other platforms, specifically mine, Martinis with Scott on YouTube, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, but also Sam or David, me, and Anna, I'm certain, maybe on her uh, 
YouTube channel may be uh, releasing this as well. So just, just know that if you raise your hand and get on stage, you will be recorded. All right, Anna, if we can start in. <laughs> so I spent some time this afternoon looking through your CV and reminding myself, even though I've known you, what, maybe three years now, three, four years, something yeah, like something that. Like that. Yeah. yeah. So were you... Were you born in Uzbekistan? Is that correct? I don't want to go right back to when you were born, but my point being that you grew yeah. up in Uzbekistan, right? And yes. and for four and a half years, you you uh, were in the you were studying to be in university uh, to be a medical mm -hmm. doctor. How long is that program? Yes. Correct. So it's a six year program. Six years. And yes, and I finished almost five of them. Right. Uh, so you six years. So I was about to graduate with MD. Right. So you were one and a half years away from being graduated to be a medical doctor. You would have had to done your internship and all that stuff. But basically, well on your way, well on your way to being a doctor and being set for life. And then, <laughs> then, <laughs> in 2010. You immigrated to Canada from Uzbekistan, I, I assume, with your family, and you landed in the in the um, the the roaring metropolitan area of Red Deer, Alberta. Which, if you haven't yes. been there, oh my goodness! I spent uh, I spent a decade of my life there, one three year period. It was uh, <laughs> it was something else. So you went to. And so you needed a summer job, is my guess. And so from May to August, what did you do? But you you drove what we would call a yellow iron here, a rock truck in a mine site. Is that correct? Yes, correct. And road constructions and developments, yes. Yeah. I was the heavy equipment operator because that was the only job I could land at that time as a brand new immigrant in Canada. And I guess the good good thing to remind that I immigrated because of my family. I never planned to because my plan was to become a doctor, actually get my internship, etc. But due to certain rules uh, that are in place, and they were placed by Canadian government, I could only use my chance to immigrate with as a part of my family within a very short period of time. So I had to make a decision to immigrate within two months. So I had to pack my stuff, give up my school and everything, and just move. Because it was the only time and only opportunity for me, due to my age and other circumstances, but again, Canadian rules. And this is how I ended up in Red Deer, and yeah, I could not land any job. And the first job that actually was offered to me was the heavy equipment operator, okay. which I took. <laughs> which I took. <laughs> and God bless you <laughs> for that. That was a huge change, considering that I grew up in a capital city, 3.5 million, um, very, you know, Big city girl, never saw equipment like that in my entire life. Right, and so David, David and I are Canadians, but but for you city dwellers that uh, have never seen the big equipment of a mine site, this is this is not a big pickup truck. This is this is huge, huge pieces of uh, of equipment. And so, all right. So then, in in 2010, and the reason I'm going through so much detail in your CV is I just love. The attitude. I love your entrepreneurialism and your hard work and your never give up. And I want to talk about, you know, the journey being the, you know, dropping out of medical school at the last minute and, and turning into an entrepreneur and the excitement and hardships of all that. So in 2010, 
you go to University of Calgary and you knock out a Bachelor of Kinesiology in two years, which I'm betting is a regular three to four year program. Co correct? Yeah, it is a four year program, but I was able to yeah, do it in two years. Two years. And then you yeah. roll right into a Master's of Biomedical Technology mm -hmm. in what appears to be a year, probably three semesters, which I'm betting is a two year, two, a four semester course. Am I right? I yeah, it is about a three-semester course, all in all. It's a relatively short program, but a very condensed business-slash-science program. Okay, and so you end up with a Master's of Biomedical Technology. <clears throat> and during that, you do a project on the novel approach for treatment of, I can't even say this word. Atherosclerosis. <laughs> yeah, atherosclerosis. <clears throat> Excuse me, where you propose a, um, you come up with novel drug prevent uh, to prevent severe outcomes, um, mm -hmm. you do a startup business case, you conduct market research in the biotechnology yep. sector, um, you identify potential licensings for this new technology you've come up with and you win, or at least you place in the best business pitch uh, <clears throat> on this project. So, you know, academically speaking, that seems to be the beginning of your entrepreneurial career, although I would suggest driving a rock truck might qualify. <laughs> <laughs> so then you roll into um, a sales job at Johnson Johnson, mm -hmm. okay, where you start knocking it out of the park as a sales representative. Um, yeah. And what I love about this is not pharmaceutical sales. This is complicated uh, medical equipment sales, and you're selling mm -hmm. to neurosurgeons, literally, um, yeah. and interventional neuroradiologists, uh, yeah. correct? So it's a complicated right. sell. Is my yes. point okay? Um, and it's it's not. It's a sophisticated. Uh, what's the right word? Soft sell is that the right word? It's a yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'd say so. Yeah. <clears throat> so you're knocking it out of the park. You're blowing away your budget. You you launch a number of products. Not not that you launch them, but the Johnson Johnson launches a number of products, and you're involved in the product launch from a sales side. Correct. Mm -hmm. You win awards for sales yep. at Johnson yep. Johnson and in 2015 you leave to start uh, what we're now calling Ava Medical <clears throat> and tell us what that is please I have it here but maybe they'd like to sure. hear your voice since it is your you are the guest sure yeah of course so I'll just go back a little bit back into my master's studies I think that that was the turning point that was the pivot for me because before that point I was actually aiming to become a doctor so I tried to apply to medical school and um, again, Canadian rules were a bit cruel towards me in a, in a sense that they did not consider enough experience in Canada as a eligible, as a, they didn't consider me as a legible candidate to apply for medical school, which was very heartbreaking for me. But the, during my master's program, I realized that I do enjoy the path of uh, having an idea and commercialize it and find the market for it, find the way how to fund it how to bring it to the market, how to bring it to investors, and this is how it all started. And I chose the sales and marketing route as an opportunity for me to get into business and to get it right there being in front of the customer and see how the whole process works because I think sales is one of those areas where you get to know the end users, the, the customers, you get to know the dynamics between the company and the end user and how it all works. So it actually was a strategic move and I really wanted to get in obviously into something more technical, something medical, because I wanted to be close to medicine as much as possible, just due to my own passion and just what I wanted to do before. 
that's how it all started. And yeah, in 2015, the opportunity actually showed up. It was just, uh, well, I think it was just the timing. I got an opportunity to sign the direct contract with Johnson Johnson and to, be, to become their representative, but not as an employee, but like an agent in my territory. And this is how it all started, because as soon as you become that independent agent, you actually have an option to uh, to sign up more clients. It's how I started looking for other companies, if they would like to work with me and if they would like me to represent them in my territory, because I already built some network of people that I know, and that's how it all started. And a few companies came to me by accident or through just LinkedIn connections, and I think after that, just some companies, based on what I've done, they've heard about it and they started approaching me, and yeah, so Ava Medical is the sales agency that represents companies, large or small, in the surgical space, so we sell the mostly surgical equipment, quite, I would say, niche and specialized. But in the last, what, six years now, I also had a chance to work with a couple of startups and smaller companies here locally in Alberta, and I just helped them to uh, to bring product to the market. Because I find that small companies, they do have great teams of researchers and manufacturing, but they do not have uh, resources or even a strategy sometimes for sales. So they need someone like me to get in and say, okay, let's go and talk to the end users. Let's go and talk to see, uh, t talk to them and see if they have interest in using the product that they're developing. And what is lacking, what needs to be added, is it even a viable product? So that's what I've been doing for the last six years. And because you don't have enough to do, you also uh, became an advisor to what appears to be an investment banking type group, uh, so a biotech mm -hmm. consultant. You started your MBA in Edinburgh. Yep. Um, you've been president of the Toastmasters Club in your area for uh, three, four years, correct? Yep. Yes. <clears throat> Toastmasters is where you get you learn how to give speeches, correct? Is that not learned? But yes, it is. It yeah. is, yeah. And you're president of that organization. I'm told that um, one of the things that is taught in the Toastmasters is that you always have a canned uh, story in case you're put on the spot to give a speech. Is that true? <laughs> Somewhat true. It's just I think the, they develop the skills for impromptu speaking. So you should be able to answer any questions at any time. Okay. So you don't have to really have a story, but skills just to have a few points, to to come up with a few points, regardless of the topic, that's what they teach, really. <laughs> All right. Um, developing, you've got a certificate in developing from somewhere, I think, from Maryland, developing innovative ideas for new companies, uh, certificate in project management, um, you're volunteering a bunch, and you've done 10 solo skydiving jumps in a military training setting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, did, you did a good research on <laughs> Thank you. Skydiving sky diving was actually a long time ago. I was actually 16 because in Uzbekistan and during that time it was still possible to do solo jumps at the age of 16. They just throw you out of a plane. Yeah. Yes, yeah, it kind of gives you that strength. You know, but after that, you believe you can do anything. Really. <laughs> you started a YouTube channel. I'm not sure how long that's going on, been going on, and you've been a regular in this room. That's everything I got. Did I miss anything significant? Uh, no, actually, no, I think it's 
pretty extensive. I would say I would just only add that with the YouTube channel, which I started last summer, I've also started working on a platform. It's an educational platform for people who are trying to get into medical sales. So it's it's like a boot camp, like medical sales boot camp for for people who want to learn about Canadian medical device industry, because I found that there was a bit of a gap between people who are trying to get in and not knowing what to expect, and companies who expect so much from candidates, because I went through that path myself when I was looking for a job, when companies would come to you and say, oh, we want you to have almost like 10 years of experience and knowing everything, and you can't really, because after graduating university, you can't really know much about medical device industry. It's not something that you being taught enough. So I decided to create a platform for people who'd like to learn and see what it's all about in Canada, so specifically the Canadian market. And yeah, I'm excited to work on that right now. So that's in process, in progress. Cool, cool. And, and, and I guess mm -hmm. the last thing I should have mentioned is that uh, you're on Instagram this morning with an electric guitar rocking out <laughs> Nirvana, I think, yeah. of all things. Yeah, it was Metallic, I believe, but yeah. Was it yeah, Metallic? I'm, I'm, yes. I'm too yeah, old yeah, to you, know the remnants. Yeah. <laughs> but thanks, Scott. You did, you did a yeah, great research. So, David, are you feeling inadequate yet? Like, uh, utter, <laughs> Utterly. And, and, and how old are you, Anna? 12? <laughs> yeah, 12 and a half. Because, you know, by the time I was 13, I had done all that. <laughs> Actually, I, you know... I want to fast forward a little bit. Scott, I don't know if you've got a rhythm here that I'm interrupting, but doesn't matter. I, I I sort of look at this and I go, my God! So you come here, you abandon a medical degree. Uh, you're, you're, you have Jewish grandmother; she's rolled over in her grave, um, and or, or your great grandparents, your Jewish great grandparents, which I don't think you have, but anyway, um, they've all rolled over their grave because you gave up the, the the wonderful medical career that everybody wishes their child would undertake. And I won't ask you what your parents thought of you doing that. But, and then you come to Canada, you go through the process, you get this great job. And then all of a sudden you quit that job because, you know, too much, not enough change is not good for you. You quit that job and you start a company, right? So I'd like to know what went through your mind about, like, just making the decision to go out and create your own business around this. Like, what was it that, you woke up one day and said, I can do this better by myself. I can do something different by myself. Or there's a, just a huge, I want to be my own boss. What was the motivator? Because a lot mm -hmm. of people, you know, wonder what, I mean, that's the entrepreneurial spirit right there. So what was it for you? You know what? I think I learned over time that it's just part of my character, to be honest, which I didn't know until I started doing it. Because I think I function at my best when I have, things under my control and I set up my own schedule, I know who I want to see tomorrow, who I want to talk tomorrow, and I think being independent gave me that freedom. And again, I didn't know about it until that opportunity showed up and I remember when Johnson Johnson asked me if I would like to sign up as, a, as an independent agent. I obviously it was risky, but I measure all the risk and I'm like, okay. I know, I know the product, I want to try it, I want to see it. But then when, when I started working with other companies, I started learning more and more that I like the idea of being flexible, I like the idea of control of my own enterprise, I guess. And 
I just think running a business, it's it's a journey on its own. It, there's so many components that I keep learning every day. And it's just so, it's challenging, but it's so rewarding at the same time. Because if something goes well, you know, you know that you did something right. And there's so many components you have to consider. And I know that, this is what I tell to people when they ask me about it. Are you going to, if they ask me about what would you choose to work for a large company like Johnson Johnson or do you go on your own? I don't know, because some people would like to work with a large company, because there's so many benefits of it, because those companies are amazing, they have great management, they have great benefits, etc. But when you're running your own business, I find it's so rewarding to learn about finances, learning about accounting, learning about investments, learning about hiring HR, like I had to hire people for the first time in my life on my own. Uh, from my agency, that was another process, I had to go and study and learn and see, and of course you learn sometimes hard way, sometimes a good way, but I just, I just, for me personally, it's, it's just a good environment to be in. I actually strive in this environment because knowing that I'm in charge of, of something that can grow and develop and seeing the growth year to year, it gives me a big pleasure. <laughs> That's how I see it. And, and if I can, I mean, that's, I mean, that's, I come from a, a family of entrepreneurs and I, you know, they, like all good children of entrepreneurs, I went and got a professional degree and followed a profession, but, but in my sense of entrepreneurs, and tell me if I'm wrong for this about you, is that they, while they can calculate the risk and assess the risk of, you know, going on their own, the equally they don't feel the risk the same way others might. Mm -hmm. And so do you, do you think you have, like it's jumping out of the airplane. The first time you do it, it's hard. The second time, maybe it's a little easier. But you got to have some optimism in your heart jumping out of an aircraft or starting a business because you got to believe that the technical skills that you acquired will get you on the ground safely. So, so you know, I, I, I mean... People ask, is that, I mean, one of the biggest barriers to individuals, and I think Sam can comment on this, one of the biggest barriers to individual success is actually defeating oneself before you start. Yeah. So I just, I mean, I'm curious how you <laughs> felt about that risk when you took yeah. it. Yeah, I actually, all my life I thought I'm not a really risky person. I thought I'm, not, I'm avoiding risks, but I actually was not right about it. <laughs> <laughs> and again, it comes to light while you're doing things, because I do agree when I talk to people and people would look at me and they would say, Anna, you're crazy, you'll be so much safer, you would just go and work for a large company. And I agree with that. There are so many uh, perks that come with it and so many people like that. And yeah, I, I, I know why they make those choices. It's just for me, while I was learning so much running my agency, I just thought that it, for the benefit it would never... I would compete any type of comfort that you get from a large company. So at least I, I'm going to try. That, that was my that was my line of thinking. And yes, I do think now that I am much more risky than I thought I was because I think it is a risk when you go on your own. It is a risk when you don't have a set up salary, for example, and you you have to pay yourself and you only rely on commission from the sale. So I think for many people, just that notion that you're not, you're not going to know what you're going to make next month, right, unless you sell, it's a big risk and many people would not take it. 
but for me, I think as I was going, I thought like, why not? I will, you know, I will work on it. And don't get me wrong. Sometimes you don't get it. Sometimes you do. But it's just the, the, the process was much more rewarding. That's how I saw it. Sam, I see you're muted there. Jump in. Sure. You know what? It's I sense that there's a couple of things going here. One, you're incredibly focused, and where the head goes, the body flows. I mean, if you if you if you're driving a car and you're looking around, you swerve all over the place because you look to the left, you steer to the left. You look to the right, you steer to the right. And so you in a car, you got to know: are you are you a looker or are you a driver? And you're focused on what it is you're trying to do, but you're. Not only are you hyper-focused and is that working for you incredibly well, but you're you're an adrenaline junkie, but not the typical adrenaline of jumping out of a plane, which you're plenty comfortable with doing. It's the, the adrenaline of, of challenges, of, of the degrees, of business, of you're not focused on the risk, you're focused on the results you 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 want to achieve and and you thrive in the moment of those challenges rather than getting shut down. So you're able to take on things that maybe others wouldn't be able to and turn them into masterful successes. I see that as an incredibly powerful place to be coming from because there's nothing you can't take on. Thank you, Sam. But one thing I wanted to share, and it's what I tell people when they ask me about it, that business and while you were going through a business and it's a journey and you're learning, it just gives you so many other opportunities to learn so much outside of what just what you do. So let's say Ava Medical is a sales company for medical devices. Obviously, it's a never-ending learning curve because there's so many different technologies out there and you just learn and learn, especially new companies are coming out with new uh, new machines and you need to learn about them but I think just the business component of it let me to go and expand so much outside of just that sales business is how I uh, started consulting for the investors relations company because I was just curious about the funds and investment and financial side of startups or even um, scale-ups scale-up companies and then similarly you have to go and learn something about accounting because it's just running a business. You need to know some basics. You need to know more about project management. So things like that. And I think business in general gives you that much more, oh, what would you work to say, like much more uh, wholesome overview of what you're doing uh, rather than just one area, one specific area of expertise. And I really like that. And it's what I suggest to people if they ever ask me, why do you go into a business route versus, you know, being employed? I think that's what I usually tell them. So what's the most important aspect of a business for you that you need to, you need to nail, you need to get it right early on that's going to put you on that success trajectory? Mm. What's the most important one? Well, I think... In my business, I think, just the nature of my business, I think the customer retention, customer satisfaction, customer service, to be honest. I think that's something I care deeply about. And obviously, the more customers are staying loyal and I can stay connected with them, the better for my business. And I see it as a, as a sign of good work that I do. But there, obviously, there are so many other components. Of course, you have to be... You have to bring revenue, you have to be profitable, you have to 
um, in my opinion, like I need to diversify the product portfolio, etc. So there are multiple components, but I think customer service is number one just because of the nature of my business. Okay, just a reminder to everybody, this is the Building Business Room, and we are doing a live podcast with uh, entrepreneur Anna Nesterova, uh, where we're talking about Anna's journey from uh, uh, the Eastern Bloc, if that's the right word, uh, to immigrating to Canada, changing her dream. Um, everybody, please uh, refresh your screen, hit the plus, plus button, uh, get some entrepreneurs in here and others that might like to hear this story. Anna, I... I've been known in my career to really like hiring Eastern Europeans, Eastern Bloc. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if I'm too old, if that's the, still the right mindset. Or sorry, still the right phrase. But, uh, uh, you know, people from that part of the world, because I've found you get to combine in an individual amazing, really just an amazing education <laughs> um, with... A spirit of self-reliance, hustle, street smarts, street smarts, um, just generally able to figure figure stuff out, and I just love that in an employee. So my question is, you know, how did your family life and cultural upbringing from where you're from impact you being an entrepreneur today, if at all? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. Uh, I think well. Both of my parents are doctors, so my future as a doctor was quite predictable, I guess. <laughs> and I think medicine was always the focus in the family, and I was always genuinely interested in it. But in terms of entrepreneurship and business, I never had a chance to learn it, to be honest. I never had a chance, a real-life example next to me, which potentially, sometimes I think potentially could have speeded up my own discovery of what I like and why I like business. But on the other hand, I realized, and I again, I thought about it just recently, I always had, besides hustle all my life, even I think in the age of 10 or 12, I started selling some handmade um, needle holders at a market. And then I started selling some postcards for, let's say, Mother's Day or Valentine's Day. So I always had a bit of a, That's amazing. I always had a desire, <laughs> desire to <laughs> have my own money, make my money, and my parents never restricted me in anything. So I was always like, okay, that's my new thing, I'm going to do it. And I think half the time my parents didn't even know, because they were so busy, and as you know, the time, and the time when I was growing up was very tough, because I was post-Soviet time, and obviously my parents, they had to, they had to provide, and my mom, uh, my my dad passed away, and my mom had to be a, a single mom with two kids. So not that she really <laughs> had a chance to to um, I would not say control, but somehow participate. She was participating, I guess, just by her own example, working hard. But I always had a bit of a side hassle. Like I always I was always working. I think yeah, since age of ten, I think that was my first one when I was making some handmade stuff and selling on the market. So that was definitely first maybe some sort of a sign but I never got exposed I had a, I didn't have a chance to be exposed to business real business until I was already in Canada and until I got into the real job let's call it this way with Johnson & Johnson Anna do you think it was resilience do you think that you learned or or your your just your circumstances led you to be one of those 
resilient people who who will stick to something against the odds and who will follow something through and fight for the success and the victory on the other side. Because resilience is certainly, um, in terms of what, if you if you ask me to quantify what what makes a really successful person is, you know, surviving the attrition alone is a big part of it. And resilience is is a big part of surviving the, the attrition. Do you, th- do you feel you have that? Is that what drives you? Is a sense a sense of never being pushed back on? I hope so. <laughs> I hope it does. Well, just an example, I think, with the road truck, the one that is caught. I remember, actually, Scott, I remember your first reaction when I told you that for the first time a few years ago. You were quite shocked by it because I think that was partially, yeah, that probably was a sign of resilience because I really didn't want to work as a road truck operator. And I actually was crying for the first few days. (laughs) Every day coming back home, I was crying and I was so upset about it. And my parents were saying, okay, maybe you should give up and look for something else. But because I knew I needed to earn money and I needed to move to Calgary, I needed to go to university. I just couldn't, I couldn't say no. I'm like, nope, I'm going to do it. I'll prove it. I'm going to, I, I will, I need it. So I think, yes, most likely that's like the sign of resilience. It's really hard to say, really hard to talk about myself really, but I think that was one of those examples where, yeah, I felt that I need to do it no matter what, because there's no other option. There's no other Ways or a person I can rely on, really. So I had to do it, and you, I have one no regrets. No regrets. Yeah, one of my sons refers to it as stick-to-itiveness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, but then, David, I think I think in this situation, it's way more than that. That's that's why I was so. If you ever meet Anna, and you were to make a top test, top ten list of things that you thought she was doing, rock truck driver would be way down on that list and yeah and and it's really to me it was the it's the emotional side of what i suspect you know being being a young girl again two parents that are both doctors and she wants to be a doctor and is basically there and then not only stick to it in this david not only resilience but overcoming that just must have been such a shock for you anna and culturally as well yeah very much so it was a tough time, I'm not going to lie. It was very hard culturally, just the language. And, of course, as you can imagine, working construction was a very different language from what I knew before. Because I spoke English before, but, yeah, never the English that people speak in construction, in the construction area. And being a female, being a young female, being Russian, it was all people were picking on it. And just dealing with that, it was quite an interesting experience. But I also think... I'm a big believer that everything happens for a reason because that gave me so much strength down the road. And even dealing with people right now in business, I think it gives me it gives me a bit more confidence because once you've done that, and I think that was much harder at the time emotionally, it's much easier now to deal with some challenges and some hard times. Yeah, it's interesting that you use the words everything happens for a reason because I would tell you that the majority of people would say everything happens to me and drives me down and that's why I don't succeed as opposed to you saying everything happens for a reason and therefore I succeed. There's a real difference in, in tonality to that, right? Like, And that distinction, I mean, I, I, you know, I get to see a lot of success and I get to see a lot of failure in my, in my career 
Um, I've had my own share of it myself. And this attitude that, you know, everything happens for a reason, it makes me a tougher, better person. Um, that's actually more rare than you know, Anna, <laughs> is what I'm saying. And, it's, and it is an attribute. It is an attribute in, in really, truly successful people because if you spend all of your life dwelling on what could have been instead of focusing on what can be and what you want it to be, I think it's like having, you know, I describe it as having a bag of rocks on your back. If you can empty the rocks out of the bag, you can walk upright and a lot, with a lot more pride and a lot more confidence. Thank you, David. Yes. Yeah, there's a power in, in thinking the universe is out to get you the difference between that and thinking that the universe is out for you. And so what I'm hearing is you see the universe is out for you and that things are happening for a reason. And then if, if doors close, that's okay. Another one opens and that's the one you walk through. Is that, am I correct? That's how you see it? Yes, definitely. And I know it's very hard to see it in a moment. And when you go through a tough time, and it's, it's sometimes it's very hard to see that. But I always know that even what's happening right now eventually will lead you somewhere. And you just don't know why it, it is happening. But it's your job, obviously, to figure out eventually. But I, I usually tell people that no matter what happens, it happens for a reason. Even something very challenging, something tough, something unexpected, you will learn the lesson in the future and you will look back and you you will understand why it was given to you either an opportunity or maybe it was a failure that was in your way or some sort of a challenge and that's how I saw that experience for myself it was just a I had to prove to myself that I can do it it may be in the hardest way possible especially changing countries changing cultures changing education changing everything going through a tough period of time and overcoming it and actually doing it quite I would say successfully considering the time frame and what I was doing and how quick I had to learn and how I had to adjust my communication to people who were working with me at the time and obviously there were some of them were nice to me some of them were not but overcoming that later on gave me so much strength because potentially without having that experience I wouldn't be as strong or maybe as confident in other situations again considering my circumstances changing the country changing the culture changing everything education etc so it, it's interesting because I mean I'm not I'm not no I wouldn't describe myself as a deeply faithful person or even a person who believes in fate or even believes that the universe is either for you or not I think it's organic and and as a consequence maybe I don't buy into the concept of a universe being out you know to help you but um, I am a deep believer in the you help yourself and that everything is a learning opportunity and everything is an opportunity to shine and people are not judged by how well they do something the first time it's how they pick themselves up and recover from a setback that defines them and the the people that you see have the greatest success are the ones that have the the capacity to just pick themselves up and learn from what they've done and make themselves better with each and every with each and every challenge. Um, I, I, maybe I don't agree with others about the you know the the, the the universe being some like animate creature. I just think I just think there are kind, there are kinds of people who know how to take what they're given and make it into gold, and there are other kinds of people who carry it on their back like a bag of rocks. And and so I I mean I you know that's a lesson. 
for every entrepreneur, right? Don't let the rocks pile up in the bag. And you, I mean, no, no joke, you carried around rocks for a while in your truck. Uh, but you're not a person who carries the rocks in the bag. They're, and, and, but you remember exactly how heavy they were and exactly how hard they lift, were to lift, and you remember what you did to get them out of the bag. And that's really impressive, to be honest. Thank you. Just a reminder to everybody, this is a live recorded podcast. Uh, Amara Scott, Lisa, Diamond, Corey, you want to raise your hand, jump on stage, participate, and ask Anna some questions or throw your thoughts out for Anna. Uh, please feel free to do so. Um, Anna, I asked you in preparation for this to send me, you know, five words or however many words you felt like sending that would sort of symbolize how you succeed and um, and you sent out to me um, optimism with a note of realism responsibility persistence uh, slash determination not blaming anyone open-minded and adventurous that was your list that you sent to me um, I, I love optimism with a note of realism um, one of my themes is positivity um, and Corey, thanks for jumping on the stage. We're, we're, we're going to get you after this this segment, unless you want to jump in on this specific segment. And uh, and uh, Corey is also a uh, sales guru, and so you'll have some commonality uh, there. Um, I, so optimism with an order realism. I, I always talk about positivity. I see that as sort of the same thing. Can you can you expand on that and how it's impacted your success as both in sales and as an entrepreneur and everything you've accomplished at such a young age? No, optimism, I think it's a required <laughs> quality that everyone needs to have in order to achieve anything, to be honest. Because I think if you have a pessimistic uh, outlook, I don't know if you can really progress. That's just very simple, in my opinion. But I added the note of realism because I think, uh, and I met people, very optimistic people, but we're a, they're a little bit overly optimistic. <laughs> Where I think in business and in real life and actually in everything, even in relationships and friendship, etc., that overly optimistic people sometimes can be crushed by the reality and by the reality in, of, I don't know, again, challenges, challenges that they can see along the way or just some events that are happening and you have to look at them with a bit of a realistic lens rather than just optimistic only. Uh, for me, I think optimism definitely helped me with my career and with my agency right now because I think I was always optimistic by signing up a new contract, a new company. Let's say the company has no sales and no record and it's a brand new thing and you have no idea if it's going to go or not go. But optimism and belief that you can succeed or at least you're going to try definitely helped me. So I never said no and I never had doubts. I always like, yeah, let's try it. Let's let's move on with it. Let's do the best and we'll see how it's going to go. But the realism obviously kicks in when, let's say, something doesn't go well and you, uh, you analyze why and you can see that there are certain conditions, certain circumstances. You have to look at them realistically and assess your risks and assess your rewards and maybe make business decisions according to to those realistic outlooks. So that, that would be my short description, why I, I value optimism, but with a little bit of not realism, because being only optimistic sometimes can hurt you in the long run. Amazing, thank you. Uh, Corey, 
you want to jump in on this, and just a reminder, Corey, this is a recorded podcast. It will be rebroadcast, uh, certainly on Martinis with Scott, and uh, other people will pick it up as well, I'm sure. So just to give you a heads up on that, make sure you're comfortable. Absolutely. Thanks, Scott, um, and Anna, and uh, David, Sam. I uh, really appreciate you bringing me up. <clears throat> you know, Anna, I thought for a second on that last thing that you said, I, I, I didn't. I thought I didn't know how much emphasis you were going to put on the the real the realism portion of the optimism conversation because I I cast up, I look I, I try to always be optimistic. However, I heard something recently that said op, optim, optimistic people. Ah, I'm trying to remember exactly what they said, but essentially they said that that is a you know by default not the best thing because people will believe in something that's not really real. Oh, I know what it was. They said, oh, yeah, I'm going to close this big deal. And they've not even had a conversation with the person because they're, air quotes, optimistic about closing the deal. And I think that kills a lot of deals as well as helps them grow, right? And look, I'd be to be honest, I would much prefer somebody to be optimistic than pessimistic for sure. But Anna, what do you? What do you guys think about that? Have you heard that? Have you experienced that? What do you think? What are your thoughts? Yes. Thanks, Corey. Yeah, definitely. I think, and especially in sales, as you know, you have to stay optimistic and you probably have to, well, maybe even oversell sometimes, but I think there, the reality kicks in no matter what. And it's important to to understand the realistic outcomes out of the deal because being overly optimistic sometimes leads to false promises. And that's my biggest, <laughs> I guess, my biggest pet peeve in a way that false promises and when people say, oh, yeah, we're going to do this, we forecast that a million-dollar deal out of this. Well, realistically speaking, based on the volume of, let's say, surgeries in the hospital or, um, I don't know, the level of interest of the end user, it's not going to be a million. So then it's a false, false promising, overly optimistic forecast, and then you obviously see the... <laughs> If if you go ahead with it, obviously you will be very crushed by not achieving that. So I try to stay balanced that way. I really try because I have to stay optimistic. I need to believe that I will succeed. I need to believe that we will get to the best outcome possible. But realistically speaking, do you, do I have some metrics in real life, metrics and numbers maybe that will prove my optimistic outlook or they actually will disprove and I need to be careful and maybe I need to have plan B or maybe re-strategize my my actions. Yeah, I agree, Anna. Because look, if you overpromise and under deliver, well, let's just be honest, you're gonna lose a client. And so I try to never overpromise and under deliver. I try to do the opposite. Yeah. I try to over deliver yeah and under promise. Because ultimately I want whoever it is I'm working with, I want them to love the experience that they have with me. And I think we can all agree that if I overpromise and don't deliver, they're not going to be happy. Right. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. You're hundred percent right. But I also want to add just one thing because nature of the business I'm in. So it's also healthcare related and medicine related. And eventually it is related to people's health. And I'm deeply, deeply passionate in, also, I'm deeply <laughs> concerned about it because it it's not the same to sell. I don't know. I'm trying to think of. 
bang of construction material maybe versus medical equipment, high level medical equipment. You don't want to overpromise. You don't want to to have that burden after that you've sold something or you've promised something you cannot deliver on. Because I think it actually evokes a chain of events that will potentially lead to some I wouldn't say harm, but at least it may change lives and it may influence lives and I take that very seriously. So and I think Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Craig. No, Craig, go ahead, please. please. I was just gonna—I was gonna lob something back because you mentioned—you mentioned the medical industry, and, and, and I hadn't had an opportunity to look at your profile, so I, I didn't know that medical devices what we were talking about. But but let me shift gears just for a quick second. What about a doctor? I, I was listening to a podcast yesterday, and the doc, this kid that had brain cancer, some kind of rare form of brain cancer, the doctor came in and said, "Hey, there's no hope." We have zero hope. There's nothing we can do. Basically, just live the best life you can for as long as you can. It's probably not going to be very long. I, I feel like in that scenario, it makes more sense for the doctor to be more optimistic because I believe that if you're optimistic in a situation like that, I believe that you will live longer. And I, I, I truly, truly, truly believe that. It's a tough one. I think it depends on, actually it depends on education of that particular doctor because there are two schools of thought, actually, of thinking in medicine where you are very realistic and you tell the patient the blunt truth and there is another one where you try to soften up the edges and you try to hope for that optimistic approach because I do agree there is evidence when people think optimistically. The ill people, they have optimism and they believe that they can do better or they can live a happy life. They, on average, live longer than people who just give up and they know that it's come. That let's say, you know, the end of life is coming, so they just give up. Uh, but it's hard to say because doctors make that decision, and and I also think well, there's a healthy dose and of uh, of uh, risk mitigation in that decision, yeah, right? Exactly, exactly. So that, that's the big deal depends. there, and the litigation exactly. that comes exactly. with it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. David, did you want to uh, just quickly jump in on that point? Well, on that point, it's hard to argue with them. I, mean, I don't think doctors are in the hope business necessarily. Um, they're scientists at heart. Um, and that's why people, generally speaking, they get a bad rap, right? They get a bad rap because they have to be pro pragmatic about things. But, you know, doctors miss stuff too. They miss opportunities to solve problems. And optimism, in part, drives the patient to go and look for alternative solutions and to go to alternative treatments or to a different doctor that results in potentially a longer life or a better result. It may not, but sometimes just the journey is important to people to, to do that. So, you know, <laughs> the doctors aren't selling anything. They're, 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 they're providing a real scientific you know it's really hard to fault a doctor who who's very honest with somebody i think and and i don't think that that's i think that's the toughest sales job on the planet if you ask me yeah um i, I just i it is I, I think it's just a harder thing to sell right because it's a, you know it, it, there's a there is a there's a, a, absolutely an incredible risk mitigation exercise there um, and, you know, when was the last time you and I dealt with life, life or death, Scott? It's awfully easy for us to talk about selling optimism to patients, but we're not dealing with life and death. 
Well, not personally, but I, I, I just I just dealt with this, you know, as recently as three months ago, as you know, <laughs> and um, so I have pretty strong views about it. Sam, I, I'm going to as we uh, kind of head to the end here. I'm going to um, I'm going to read you these words that Anna had sent to me again, which she believes to be the you know the heart of her success. And, and I want to know from you, Sam, what speaks to you um, as a uh, an author. Um, I don't want to say coach, trainer, whatever the right word is on accountability and business and life success. Which which one of these speak to you? And 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 uh, maybe you could throw some out. Uh, for us and and the listeners of the podcast here and for Anna. So optimism with a note of realism, responsibility, persistence slash uh, determination, not blaming anyone, open-minded, adventurous. Wow. Well, that's a complete set. You know, it's hard to pull one out and focus on that. Um, I, I, I see... Not blaming anyone is is something important. It, it's valuing people. When you take those characteristics that you just mentioned and you 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 combine that with the concept of valuing people, and I think that that is expressed maybe in so many words, shall we say, and not blaming anyone else. We're not looking to put the blame on someone else. But when you value people and you live your life with those characteristics, then good things are going to happen because you're you're making them happen. I, you know, asking me to pick out one would be like asking me which of of my four children do I love the most. You know, that's not going to be something I really want to engage in. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, that's. But you know, optimism always. You started there, and I think when you're optimistic, you look for positive things. And and to me, characteristics like abundance, gratitude, and respect are always going to flow from... You have to have an optimistic attitude to be able to get into those mindsets, and those mindsets are critical. So I, I, just, I just love... I love what Anna shared with you. I think it's powerful, and it's a... It's, it, it's a tribute to who she is. Excellent. Thank you. Go ahead, Anna. I just want to say thank you, Sam. I just really, I'm, I'm really honored to, first of all, to get invited to this show and to talk to all of you and get to know you. Thank you. The honor is mutual, and I look forward to exploring that even further over time. Thank you. Uh, Amur, am I saying that properly? I think so. Yes, Scott. Yes. You're the only Canadian who says Amur. <laughs> the other ones all say A. Oh, I'm here. Oh, they say I'm here. And we're just a, a reminder that this is a recorded podcast so that it will be aired uh, separately on Martinis with Scott and other platforms, probably Anna's as well. So if you're okay with that, please unmute and ask your question of, of Anna or throw out what you wanted to throw out. Um, uh, first of all, this is Amr, and thank you for the invite, and it's what a beautiful, uh, small, uh, valuable room, and it does resonate with my journey and with my, with my uh, success story, being an entrepreneur and self-made, and uh, the, uh, Anna, I admire your, 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 
your achievement and your shift and 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 what you went through it's uh, that that's that's superior and it takes a lot for for somebody to keep going and and it takes a courage so being born in kuwait and moved to canada when i was 19 after the gulf war and and all that so i kept i kept my mindset i kept my heart in it i kept and i kept my my courage and uh, and i don't want to i don't want to elaborate on on details but i just want to be uh, i just want to be uh, quick because you're probably closing the room uh, but just just uh, to be an entrepreneur it takes a lot it's a decision it's a gift it's a passion and it's it's an endless learning journey and it's not gonna you know sometimes you're gonna be uh, uh, under uh, tough tests in life, uh, whether changing uh, or pivoting uh, during your your journey, or maybe losing everything, or maybe going through uh, health issues or whatever. But uh, the trick is that you keep going, and 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 the trick to keep going is your faith, and and you believe that you can make that different entrepreneurship is the ability to make a difference is the ability to bring something new to the market or is changing something from a to b is the way you treat people is the way at the moment of the trade when you trade the moment of that transaction the value that i give you the impact that i, that I give you that's to me that's 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 how i evolve uh, around the concept or the theory of being entrepreneur and uh, as a result uh, uh, again growing in Canada proud Canadian uh, I obtained education I obtained a sport experience I obtained uh, life experience wisdom uh, connection uh, opportunities and guess what Anna you know what one of the reason I share or I want to jump in I ended up with a physician and my wife is a doctor <laughs> and and amazing and 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 it's again it's i took i took a different path in my life uh, being a husband to a doctor and uh, uh, putting my company on on pending uh, status for three years because we had to move to st louis missouri for her to continue her fellowship program and so on so i was i'm proud that i was able to, to be that person and to support her. So to me, also, that's that's something that I never thought that I would be able to do, uh, given the fact from my background being single and all that. So I'm, I'm just, I just want to celebrate this. I just want to enhance your journey. And and, and I, I there's, there's a project that she want to um, consider to take uh, snoring, snoring shops to the Middle East or uh, you know this uh, the sleep uh, disturbance uh, and and when you said about medical equipment and all that i don't know if this is something you're familiar with but i you know yeah. there's probably a future collaboration with you because we have this uh, this project it's a huge huge project mm -hmm. but she doesn't have the entrepreneurship yet but i'm the businessman in the relationship so this is this is something that we are exploring because again this is uh, this is where where i'm from originally so i want to also utilize my uh, my diversity and i always my passion is to connect north america with the middle east
let me let me interrupt so you, uh, Amir. Let me sorry. let me. Sorry. Yeah, no worries, no worries. That was that was great. Thank you. Um, we're at the top of the hour, Anna. You can you can respond to that. It sounds like you two guys should connect offline yeah. as well. Uh, but go ahead, and then we'll Anna, and then we'll wrap up. Sure. Thanks, Anna. Thanks so much for all the work, everything that you shared in the story. And yeah, I'll be happy to connect outside of this platform and see and explore the opportunities. But just to maybe wrap up this and just to to close close the conversation, I just wanted to say that you never know where the roads will bring you. And sometimes no matter what background you have and where you end up to be, you just need to believe that things will work out and just you should not give up. And I think based on what Emerson just shared, it's a it's it, it is an, another example where if you do not give up and you believe you can achieve so, so much. And my last thing I wanted to share is just people in life. I cannot be more appreciative of people that I've met throughout my journey. And since I moved to Canada, I think that that is something that people need to consider. But meeting new people, appreciating every person along the way, um, that definitely makes a difference. Because if you listen to them, if you try to find uh, people that are on the same wave as you are, I think they just make you better and you can learn so much. And I'm really grateful for all the people that I've met, including you guys. Thank you so much for having me today on your show. Thank you, Anna. David, uh, Sam, do you want to wrap up? Thank you both for uh, co-moderating and uh, as usual. Well, just now I, thank you. Thank you. It was a, it was a great conversation. It, it was not only inspirational, but gave us specific things to think about that we can step out as we take on challenges, start new businesses, and, and look to create success in our own organizations. So thank you for um, a, a, a great conversation. I just want to say thank you for sharing, Anna. It, it was uh, there was a lot to be learned from the conversation, and uh, I appreciate having the opportunity to ask you questions and just chat. So thank you. Thank you. Really grateful for this. All right, this has been the Building Business Room on Clubhouse, a live recorded podcast with Anna Nesterova. I don't know if I pronounce that properly, but I do my best. And uh, I think that's it. We are signing off. Two minutes. Two minutes past due over time. Thank you, everybody.